Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Finding Dad Bod, where my dad, Coach Alex Van Houten, posts his 14 years of experience to work for you. You should listen to him. Here's Pity Beast Mode. Who knows who we could be if we could become 1% better every single day. What's up, guys? This is Alex Van Houten with Defining Dad Bod. I hope you're doing super well. You're listening to Season 3, Episode 42 of Defining Dad Bod, where we're talking about macros and cheat meals. This episode is a different format than we usually publish because it's an audio replay of a nutrition workshop that we ran recently in the Better Daily app. I'm sharing this with you for two reasons. First, the Faithful 40 Challenge Summer Shred Edition starts this week on April 26th. If you're catching this show after the fact, you're still welcome to jump in and join us in journaling your mindset, nutrition, and exercise in community. And this particular workshop comes from our previous Faithful 40 Challenge. And I believe the questions and interactions that you hear in this recorded workshop will be helpful to you regardless of whether or not you join us. You'll find the link in the show notes below to register for the challenge and join the group. The second reason I'm sharing this with you is here at Defining Dad Bod, I do a lot of seminar-like education, in addition to interviewing experts of various fields to have conversations related to a practical and sustainable health and fitness journey. But many of the things that I've learned that have helped me along my journey and as a coach have come from the amazing and thoughtful questions of everyday people who are just trying to make this health and fitness thing work in their lives practically. And so I hope that you find this workshop entertaining, informative, and even inspiring to you as you work hard, become 1% better every single day. This episode is full of food for thought for you, so we're going to go ahead and skip that part and get to the main event. Enjoy! As you guys have been participating in the Faithful 40 and Better Daily, we've been journaling our mindset every day, our nutrition from the previous day, so keeping our food journals, and our exercise plan for the day, and using the nutrition journals that you've been mindfully keeping over the past couple days and even this week, we can use that as really good fodder for intelligent questions and intelligent practicality. 
because one of the problems in health and fitness is we get real scientific, but not really practical sometimes. So uh, a brief overview of some resources, and then we'll get into the nitty gritty of our evening. If you haven't already in the Better Daily group, and as we're developing this this app, we're making it easier to find these resources. But if you haven't played around with this yet, click the uh, in the top right of the application. Make sure you click those three lines and click on nutrition resources. And when you do that, you'll find some meal planning tools, some recipes, uh, things like fridge art to help you with with fixing your gut or getting better sleep. For those of you who are interested in boosting testosterone, there's some quick and dirty tips in there as well. And then uh, for those of you who don't already follow the Defining Dad Bod podcast, it's not just for dads. There's a lot of nutrition information that works out well for the general population there. You might find some help. We just republished our carbohydrate series from the True Fit about a year and a half ago. So that might be really helpful to you as you're counting macros. Uh, this week, we're publishing the protein since that's something we'll be talking about this evening so that uh, you can dive back into that. And then there are other Better Daily members in the group who might be further along in their nutrition journey than you are. And so posing some questions to the group might be really helpful in getting you answers that you need as we're going through this Faithful 40. So before I get into the material I have planned for this evening, I'd like to know uh, what are some burning questions that you guys would like to talk about this evening with regard to nutrition so that we can make sure that it's valuable to you. I know Robin was was in with us when we kicked off the Faithful 40, and one of the things he was interested in was protein. How do I know how much to get? What are some good sources of that? And, and I plan to talk about that this evening. But questions like that, I'd love to make sure that we talk about them in the group. So uh, what's on everybody's minds that you'd like to make sure we cover this evening? Alex, how about uh, best sources of fat? Best uh, sources of fat. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Not sardines for you, right? Not a chance. <laughs> Anything that's got fins on it, it's out. <laughs> no. They're really good. <laughs> Not, well, yes. I'll take word for it. Okay. <laughs> I've got one other person who will eat sardines with me on this call, apparently. So that, thanks, Katie. Appreciate that. <laughs> what a confidence. No, that's a great question. Good sources of fats is definitely worth talking about. What else is out there that you guys want to cover? You know, they talk a lot about, you know, when you see diets and stuff like that, they say that you should always let yourself have a cheat day. How do you feel about that? Mm. That's, that's a fun, that's a fun question. I think, I think we should definitely talk about cheat days. Thanks for that. Okay. Cheat days, fats, anything else you guys want to make sure we get into? Uh, how about, um, like the best sources of carbs? Mm, yeah. Good question. I just like, had a, a coaching. Instead of whey bread, yeah. What, what else is there? What other carbs are there in the world besides muffins and, and bread <laughs> and ice cream? Yeah, <laughs> good. Okay, that's carbs, cheat days. Don't Love forget it. about the proteins. I won't forget about the proteins. We might as well just have a really good workshop on macronutrients, right? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm I'm cool with that. I'll talk macros all day. Good stuff. Any other questions out there or topics that you guys want to make sure that we we get to dive into this evening? They'll come. Hey, man, I like that fireplace in the Lee household. Thanks for that amb ambiance there. Oh, are we sh showing the fireplace? Oh, you, just you are, you are, but but keep it, keep it. I love it. That's great. Oh, okay, well, back to the fireplace then. Hell, I don't, we can't see anything. We don't know what's going on here. We can't see ourselves. We're, 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 recording, we're recording the nutrition workshop, and what you see is the PowerPoint and then a nice fireplace. Like, like uh, by the fire, by the fire, you can learn your nutrition. This is good. Thank you for that. We're flying blind here, so welcome to the fire. That's good. That's good. 
All right. Obviously, if, if other questions come up during the, the conversation this evening, please ask them. I will routinely make sure that if there are questions that we get to stop down and, and address them. So I like to review this slide each time I, I do a workshop, especially with regard to exercise, nutrition, and lifestyle. And it's important to understand the larger mechanism behind nutrition. I'm not going to spend a lot of time here today. I just want to make sure that, that it's solidified in your mind that in the old way of thinking with regard to health and fitness, that uh, if you Google, you know, what are the best sources of fats, for instance, or how much should I eat of carbs in a day, you'll inevitably find yourself in a conversation about calories and how it's really important to make sure you balance your calories in versus calories out. And what I presented last week and what I continue to present in my work is a, a much more sophisticated view of how nutrition actually impacts the body. So this evening, if you'll draw your attention to the, the lower left there where it says nutritional input, the nutritional input is the things that come into our face, basically. And that's, that's water, that's tea, that's coffee uh, and alcohol if that's something that you have as a part of your diet, and then also the foods that we eat. And our nutritional inputs affect us on both sides of the DNA reconstruction process. So on the left side, we have internal messengers. Those are things that we eat that signal to the body that it should make a change um, on the inside. So an example of that might be sugar. Sugar is an internal messenger. When you consume sugar, it tells your pancreas to release insulin, and that has a cascade of effects on the body, some of them good, some of them not so good, especially given a particular athletic condition. And so um, your nutritional input can affect those internal messengers and then downline your your hormones and neurotransmitters. Additionally, nutrition can be an external messenger all by itself. Alcohol is a very good example of an external messenger. So ethanol uh, actually has an effect in our bloodstream until it's metabolized in the liver, and then also has a few other effects during its metabolism that uh, can affect our hormones downstream as well. And then last but not least, on the, the left side of the DNA there, our nutritional input can affect our microbiome. So every time you're feeding yourself, you're also feeding all the little bugs in your gut. And when I say gut, we really mean small and large intestine, not necessarily your stomach. Those are the place where uh, many bacteria reside currently in you. And when you eat things, those bacteria have to break them down into their constituent parts in order for you to actually absorb them into your body. And so your nutritional input's not just feeding you, it's also feeding your bacterial colonies. And Lisa's question about carbohydrates uh, is very relevant to the microbiome conversation because there are carbohydrates that we could call good carbs that feed good bacteria, and there are carbohydrates that we could call bad carbs that aren't feeding bacteria that you really want to keep around. And so that we'll, we'll get into that in a bit. And then on the right side of the DNA pathway, so when your body is recreating its own uh, cells and it's saying, hey, we've got some dead cells over here, we need to replace them. Then on the right side of that equation, your body actually builds itself out of the food that you feed it. So when we talk about proteins and fats, this is really an important part of that conversation. If anybody remembers maybe sixth grade science once upon a time, you saw that little picture of the cell with the membrane and then you had all the little organelles in there. Your body's continually creating new cells and that lipid bilayer around the cell is actually made of the fats that you consume and the organelles and the protein enzymes and whatnot are made of the proteins that you consume. And so we literally become what we eat on that side of the equation. And so nutrition affects our reconstruction, the execution of our, our DNA blueprint, the resilience of our body to damage, and then also proliferation. That is how often you can reconstruct yourself. 
And so I, I bring this up because your macronutrient profile and where you're actually getting your foods from and uh, whether or not you incorporate a lot of cheat days in your world have a lot more to do with the right side, this this larger, more sophisticated version of what's going on in your body versus the, the calories in versus calories out. So as we're talking tonight, I want this to just kind of be an overarching theme. We'll come back to this picture when we talk about exercise and its effect on the body next week. And then uh, the following week, we'll come back to this picture when we're talking about uh, mindfulness or, or beliefs, when we're talking about better mindset. So before I move on, this sometimes brings up questions, especially when I start challenging the calorie front. Uh, do I have any questions, comments, or concerns out there before we move on to the picture of, of macronutrients and, and talk through some of those nitty-gritty pieces? Everybody good? This makes sense to everybody across the board? Okay, cool. Awesome. So uh, what you see in front of you on the slides here is a uh, potentially very complicated look at nutrition science. There's a lot of components, right? So the questions we've received this evening um, actually really fall into uh, both the basic interventions and the advanced interventions. What you see on the left is your individual genetic expression. This is who you are given, you know, when a mommy pat and a daddy pat love each other very much, they come together and they make uh, a new Pat Lee, right? And that's Pat Lee's individual genetic expression is on the left. And then there are a whole host of things that are worth considering with regard to what Pat should be eating before on the right, what he actually gets to eat in a day, right? So the biological components uh, on the left there mm -hmm. are your microbiota, your dietary intake, your exercise program, right? And then each of those things can kind of be broken up into their uh, subcomponent parts. So like microbiome, for instance, your prebiotics are what you're actually feeding the gut bacteria. Your probiotics are the good guys that you're introducing to your gut bacteria. An example would be uh, if you eat oatmeal in the morning, there are prebiotic fibers in oatmeal. And if you have kefir or kimchi or natto, which would be fermented soy, those are sources of probiotics that will actually reside in your gut. So they're going to eat the oatmeal. Those are prebiotics. And probiotics are the good guys that we're introducing to the gut, right? So we have several of those components. And you see those macros and micros there next to dietary intake. Lisa, specifically, we were talking about uh, good sources of carbohydrates. Those micros and macros kind of fall into that dietary intake piece. And then on the right there, you see that things get even more interesting when you start thinking about preferences, right? Pat says, hey, what's a good source of fat? And I say, man, sardines are an amazing source of omega-3 fatty acids. And Pat says, over my dead body, I'm not eating sardines. That's about Dairy terrible, Queen? Right? <laughs> yeah, how about Dairy Queen? <laughs> Is Dairy Queen a good source of fat? So then you have the psychosocial components, right? These are preferences, things you enjoy eating, things you don't like to eat. That could be a matter of taste. Uh, it could be a matter of how you were brought up or who's cooking in the house or who's not cooking in the house, right? Um, it could also be a matter of time and skills. So how much time do you have or whether or not you're able to prepare a dish that tastes good? Then relationships. Um, I had a practice marriage once upon a time and my relationship significantly impacted what I actually ate on a regular basis. Um, emotional regulation. Some folks use their food to, you know, help to deal with a really rough day or, or something along those lines or boredom. Uh, budget. Some of the things we talk about might not fit everybody's budget. So, uh, and then similarly, current health. You know, I'm I'm working with a client who I would have loved for him to be able to eat more carbohydrates about a year ago, but he had to get more insulin sensitive uh, via his uh, pre-diabetic diagnosis before we could actually introduce carbohydrates again without any detriments. So there's a lot of components that comes into what you should and shouldn't eat in a day. 
And I think the most important thing that you can take away from our individual questions that we'll get here is that what works best for somebody else might not work best for you. And it's a matter of understanding kind of where you fall in that category. So that said, I think this is a really good place to address some of the, the questions that came up in the very beginning. So let's start with protein. I think that's an easy place to start because most of our macronutrient profiles are going to build on our protein. So Robin, if you wouldn't mind elaborating on your protein question there, um, as you've been journaling the last 10 or 11 days and, and getting a sense of where you're at protein wise, what specific questions do you have about getting enough protein or sources of protein? Well, it's really both of them. Uh, you know, what is the best thing to have to receive the most protein? And then how much protein should I really be eating every day? Mm, really good questions. Thanks. Um, just to reiterate for the group, because you broke up there just a little bit. Uh, Robin's asking, what are the really good sources of protein to make sure it's actually breaking down in my system? Are you still there? And then uh, I'm still here. Can everybody hear me okay? Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, Robin, it, it looks like you're breaking up a little bit on your end. So if you missed the answer to your question, yes, here, uh, I would encourage you to, to check out the recording just to make sure it comes through straight for you. But as I understand the, the question, what are really good sources of protein? How much should you be eating? And then is there a way that you need to be varying your sources in order to make sure you're getting what you need, right? So the simple answer to this question is, uh, first, when it comes to protein amounts, as we get older, yes. we need more of it, right? So um, in our 30s, we don't quite need as much protein as we need in our 60s because we break it down much better as we're younger. That's a result of digestive enzymes. So when it comes to making sure that um, <laughs> John Baraby threw a question down about smelly gas and veggies, so that's exciting. I'm, I'm excited to, to deal with that as well. <laughs> but the... Uh, <laughs> that's 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 real life. So uh, first, amount of protein is is extremely important. When you're counting your grams of protein in a day from a macronutrient perspective, if you're exercising regularly, a good rule of thumb is 0 0.8 grams of protein per kilogram of body weight, which nobody uses kilograms. You're like, how do I use kilograms? It's your weight divided by 2.2. That's kilograms, right? So as an example, if I weigh 200 pounds and I'm using the 0.8 equation, I need about 80 grams of protein in a day. That's a good rule of thumb for minimum amount of protein required in your body. Now, if you are exercising regularly, then we start to use lean body mass as your source for minimum number of grams of protein, right? So if I weigh 160 pounds and I'm 10% body fat, then I can do a little math there and I need 144 grams of protein. It's one gram of protein per pound of lean body mass. So Robin, if that makes your head spin at all, then it's really simple to just take your weight, divide it by two and say, that's the minimum amount of protein that I need in a day. Take your weight, divide it by two. That's about the minimum that I need in a day. And then most people who are exercising regularly need about one half more. If I weigh 200 pounds, about 100 grams is my floor, and then I take half of that and add it. I need 150 grams of protein in a day if I weigh 200 pounds. Oh, my pounds. goodness. Yes. Now, that said, if you're not lifting weights regularly, the amount can be a little bit lower. 
right? So the first time I do this with people and I talk about the amount of protein they should be getting, it's overwhelming. They look at their journal and they look at how much they're eating and they go, holy crap, like I'm not even close. Like right. where am I going to get all that protein from, right? So the, the best thing you can do is try to add about 10 grams a day and see where that can come from. That's the best start is to just climb it, right? Because when we make minimum recommendations and maximum recommendations, none of that matters unless it's realistic for you. And I really wouldn't, you know, a lot of people's guts take a little bit of time to adapt to that. So if you're eating, let's say you're eating 50 grams of protein a day and you know you should be eating 120, if you change that tomorrow, your gut's going to hate you. You're going to be texting me like John over here and be like, what about the gas, man? Like, what am I supposed to do with that? No, nobody wants to hang out with me. So it's a it's a really good question to go, okay, what's my minimum? How am I going to get there? And then start to grow that, right? Because protein, uh, I guess I probably should have started with this. Sorry, guys. But the reason protein is important and the reason we start with it from a macronutrient perspective is because that is the source of building blocks that our body is going to use to recover from all of the stress in our day, right? Carbohydrates and fats are our energy molecules. They're going to keep us kicking. But protein is going to make sure that we don't break down in the process. That's the name of the game. It doesn't matter how much carbs and fats you eat if you die because you're dead. But protein is going to keep you kicking. Protein is going to keep the system continuing to rebuild itself. So I've said a lot of things there, Robin. Does the amount make sense? Does it make sense that, hey, I need to elevate this and, and I can do it a little bit at a time? And we'll talk about sources in just a second. Yes. Okay. It makes a whole so, lot more sense than that. Thank you. Yeah, you got it, man. Um, so from a source perspective, you you really have a, several options here. I'm going to go with my easy ones first because I find that people like easy. <laughs> so from a protein perspective, my favorite recommendation is Greek yogurt. Do you eat Greek yogurt at all in your life? Yes. Pat says he's got stock in the company. Um, yeah. He's a lot of buying Oikos stock. So Greek yogurt is a powerful source of protein because it's relatively inexpensive compared to other protein sources. And you can get it with different levels of fat in it. Like you can get fat-free Greek yogurt, which is basically just protein. And you can get full-fat Greek yogurt, which is a great source of good fats plus protein. And it's also a nice conduit for other superfoods, right? So if you add a little bit of local honey to it um, or a little bit of uh, cocoa powder or goji berry powder, or I like to add hemp hearts to mine for fiber and phytonutrients. Um, Greek yogurt can be kind of like, a, I, I call it with Gabriel, I call it my my big boy pudding. For those of you who don't know, Gabriel's my oldest. I said, dad's going to have his big boy pudding. And that's, you know, Greek yogurt plus a few additives and stuff. So that's actually a really powerful way that you can add some good protein to your day without it being a big hurdle to cross because it's, it's simply, you know, adding a serving or two of Greek yogurt in a way that you enjoy eating it. So uh, how's that feel, Robin? Is that something you can roll with? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. Awesome. And then uh, from a you know, general perspective, if you don't have heart issues and whatnot, then eggs are a wonderful source of protein. And it's arguable that even if you do have heart issues, eggs can be a great source of protein. For those who are concerned about getting the cholesterol and whatnot, um, you can do the egg whites. They're pure protein themselves. But since most of the nutrients are actually in the yolk, uh, one ninja but slightly frustrating thing you can do is eat egg whites one day and egg yolks the next day. I know that sounds crazy, but that will actually um, give you a nice dose of protein with no antinutrients in the, the yolks on the next day. So. Most of the clients that I work with generally start their day with eggs, and they do a really good job getting enough protein in their systems. And if, if that's not on the docket for you, 
or you you would prefer a vegetarian source of protein, you can also do red lentils, but I don't find them nearly as tasty. About four boiled eggs every day. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Boom. Nice. You and Katie would get along really well. She likes she <laughs> likes to start her day that way. Uh, now, Alex, what's that, do you, Pat? Find, do you find the cholesterol from the eggs is not uh, something to be worried about? That's a really good question. You know, two things about cholesterol here. First, our dietary cholesterol is only related to our blood cholesterol at a rate of about 10%. Um, that's what most studies show in on a large scale, which means if you ate 200 milligrams of cholesterol daily, from eggs or, or you had a, a large amount of cholesterol daily from eggs, that would only elevate your your cholesterol about 10%, meaning about 20 points of your cholesterol could be attributed to your egg consumption at that point. Does that make sense? Yeah. So it's it's not a huge number. If, if you're somebody who's hanging out with like 320 as your total cholesterol number, then yeah, adding eggs to the equation probably isn't a good idea. We don't need to be elevating the cholesterol much higher than that. Um, but, uh, but if you're somebody who's kind of borderline, you're hanging out in the one eighties, one nineties, then eggs aren't, aren't going to, uh, to be a big issue for you. And the second thing I would say about uh, cholesterol, and I have to say this, I'm not a doctor, but, uh, the second thing that's important to consider about cholesterol is that your HDL high density lipoprotein versus your total cholesterol number is a much better indicator of how healthy your cholesterol number is versus your actual total cholesterol number. So if you're hanging out at a, at a 70 for your HDL and a 180 for your total cholesterol, then your HDL to total cholesterol ratio is above a four, which is amazing, right? Um, whereas, you know, some folks are hanging out in their 20s or 30s for their HDL cholesterol with a total cholesterol of 200. That's not stellar. That shows a, a much higher incidence of uh, risk of heart disease and whatnot. So uh, what I would say is whether or not eggs might be a problem for you has a lot to do with what your total cholesterol is right now versus your HDL. So if you're really, really high from a cholesterol perspective and your doctor's trying to help you get that down, or maybe you're taking a cholesterol-lowering medication, then uh, you might want to stick with the egg weights until you get that cholesterol under control um, and elevate that HDL. But otherwise, the cholesterol in eggs isn't going to have a huge impact on your total cholesterol. Thank you. Yeah, you got it. Uh, the last thing I'd say, Robin, about your protein thing is if you can make sure that you get protein at every meal in some form or fashion, so you're having those boiled eggs in the morning, uh, maybe getting some Greek yogurt with a snack, uh, maybe incorporating some some leaner proteins at, at lunch and or dinner in three to six ounce servings, then that really will be all you need to get over that protein hump. That's easily, if you're having three to four meals a day, that's easily 100 grams of protein a day or more if you're getting a, a decent serving at each meal. Um, I feel like I've said a lot here. 
am I bringing up any other questions for you as we're talking through this? No, I, I understand. I got it. It's uh, okay. It's a whole lot different than what I'm doing now. So this okay. is really good. Awesome. And you know, we we teach our kids, and not to be patronizing here at all, but this is how we teach our kids at our house. Like we do, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, and maybe if we have a snack in between, we say, "All right, we're gonna get we're gonna get some protein first, and then we're going to eat something else." You know, so we do like our berry or our banana or whatever the kids are are hankering for. We pair that with a protein. It might be some Greek yogurt, could be a little turkey out of the fridge, could be uh, quinoa or lentils or, or something along those lines. And if most of the adults that I've, I've crossed paths with, if we thought of our food that way, let's start with protein and then, you know, add a few things to it. It wouldn't be hard at all to hit your protein needs in a day. Good question. Any other questions out there before uh, I switch gears and, and talk a little bit about uh, carbohydrates and fats? All right, cool. It looks like Tim joined us. What's up, Tim? Just wanted to make sure and say, hey, you don't have to unmute if you don't want to, but appreciate having you, brother. So I had a quick, sorry, I had a quick question. Yeah, go ahead, John. Unmute. Do you have any preference between uh, protein sources from animal protein versus plant protein? Uh, that's a good question. There's, gosh, man, this is, if there's any vegans or carnivores in here, sorry, I'm going to stomp some toast. But there's a lot of debate on whether or not we should be consuming plant versus animal proteins. And the debate can go from like a religious zealotousness about, you know, all the poor lambs and all the way to our environment and all that stuff. Uh, what I would say about that is there is reason to believe that there are people who do really, really well with animal proteins versus people who do really, really well with uh, plant-based proteins. There are extremes of that equation, right? And the vast majority of us fall in the middle. Like humans, as a rule, are omnivores. But, you know, there are examples throughout uh, biological history of human beings doing well, like the Inuit, for instance, eating whale blubber all year round. And that's it. That's all they really live on. They don't even, they've got a few tubers, but they're not, you're not eating kale, that's for sure. And they don't know what quinoa is. Um, and then there are, are other civilizations who eat nothing but beans and rice. And, you know, that's their thing. And it, there's a little more to it. They'll have pork like once a month or something like that. But all that said, when I work with clients, I generally start with complete proteins, which are animal based. I like to steer toward fish, eggs and uh, dairy because they're simple to get and they're easy to regulate. Outside of that, I experiment with my clients with plant proteins, but I've found there are some clients whose whose digestive systems hate plant protein. And by hate, I mean kind of like the gassy veggie question you had earlier. <laughs> like there's a significant difference. They have the same amount of protein from dairy versus the same amount of protein from like pea protein. And there's a very different digestive result, right? So uh, the best I can say is it's worth experimenting with yourself to see what feels best, energetically speaking. Personally, I do really well right in the middle. I have about a third to a half of my proteins come from plants and the rest come from animal sources, mostly fish, eggs, and yogurt, as we talked about earlier. Um, I will say that there's there's reason to believe that some folks do really poorly with red meats and whatnot. Um, not that I'm down on red meat. I love a good steak like anybody else who loves a good steak. But, uh, but there are several people that I've worked with who are getting a significant amount of their protein from you know, the fattier meats in the world, and that's not doing their health any benefits. But not that red meat's bad for you. Just some people could do with a little less of it. But really good question. Uh, does that answer it for you? Uh, yes. I, I was also wondering, does the uh, you talk about how everybody's body is slightly different. Does the body as a mechanism benefit as far as breakdown composition 
from an animal protein versus a plant protein as far as like bioavailability? It's it's such a good question because sorry, um, I'm a little getting a little advanced geeky on that. No, 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 that's good. It's not clear. It really is not clear because at the core of it, every single person on this call right now, or every single person listening to the replay, you break down protein to the same constituent parts that I do, regardless of where it comes from, like pea protein, uh, rice protein, uh, beef protein, dairy protein, all of those things, you, you break it down to the same constituent parts I do. The problem is it comes in different configurations given where it comes from, right? So if you can break it down, you will break it down to the, its constituent parts and be just fine. If you don't break it down very well and your body has a reaction to the configuration it comes in, then that will be problematic for you, right? And so that's really where, where the rub is, is, is that every single person on this conversation right now can get good protein from beans and good protein from Greek yogurt. But whether or not you have a reaction to some of the proteins in beans versus some of the proteins in casein, which is the primary protein in Greek yogurt, is where one might recommend not consuming that regularly. And people are finding that, you know, they're, there are groups of people who have stopped eating certain things and just eat beef and they're like, ah, all my autoimmune issues went away. Is it because the protein in beef is magical? Like, no, they just, you know, cut out some things that weren't going so well for them. And similarly, on the other side of the aisle, there are folks who have cut down on, on particular sources of protein in their lives and gotten, uh, you know, protein from more lentils and quinoa. And they're like, wow, you know, all my autoimmune issues went away. So it's the same problem, just two different solutions, if that makes sense. A good understanding of whether or not the protein you're eating is bioavailable is whether or not you're losing muscle. So really, really good understanding on that front. Um, and there are other other ways you can track inflammation. But I, I'm a good example of, of somebody who shouldn't go vegan. I was vegan for, for eight weeks and I lost eight pounds and it was not very good. I don't have eight pounds to lose or at least not the good kind. So no vegan for me. I did it with a dietitian helping me too. So it wasn't that I did it stupidly. <laughs> it just wasn't for me. Yeah, exactly. And, and you noted there the gut microbiome can have a part to play in that as well. So maybe it's genetic, maybe it's microbiome. I wish the scientific community knew, but we don't. We just know that some people seem to do really well one way and some people not so well. Very good question. I don't mind getting in the weeds, John, you know. <laughs> um, are you guys okay to move on to uh, carbohydrates? Sure. Is that good? Okay. Um, so that kind of brings me to... The next slide, which isn't that different, except generally I think of macronutrient periodization as an advanced thing. So carbs and fats are energy molecules, right? Um, carbohydrates are only energy molecules. Our body only uses them for energy. Uh, their other kind of secondary job in the body is to feed our gut microbiome. The bugs in your gut really enjoy eating on, uh, you, you've heard get enough fiber. That's the idea is, you know, the starches that are able to make it through your stomach and end up in your large intestine could feed other bugs in your gut that are trying to do good things, right? A good example of that is a, a bacteria that produces something called L-butyrate. L-butyrate is a short-chain fatty acid that can promote healing in the large intestine. But L-butyrate is only created from resistant starches, which are sources of fiber. Um, I've ha had people eat green bananas before. I know that sounds really weird and they taste like grass. But <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the green bananas, before they ripen, they do have a resistant starch in them. Or cold potatoes, after you've cooked a potato and uh, refrigerated again. This is something that marathon runners have been doing for a long time to get uh, compound starches in their systems. Um, this was before the advent of maltodextrin. 
the little goos in the packets and stuff. They were using them to to run long races on cold potatoes. Uh, your gut bacteria can create L-butyrate from resistant starches. So all that to say, carbohydrates generally are used in the body for energy if everything's working well, and they can feed gut bacteria. Fats, on the other hand, can also be used as energy, but the fats in the body are also used to create things like uh, hormones or like cell membranes or the vast majority of every single person on this call, your brain is made of mostly fat and water. So we all have fat heads. You heard it here, folks. Um, <laughs> no matter how fit you are, you have a fat brain. And so that's good. So that said, when we talk about carbohydrates and fats, it's important to understand what they do in the body and then how to know how much you should eat of them and what sources, right? Generally, here's my rule of thumb. Fats have no oxygen in them. So if you have a poorly conditioned cardiovascular system, then we need to make sure that you're eating more fats so that we can teach your body that it needs more oxygen. This is very important because people who have poorly conditioned cardiovascular sources tend to crave carbohydrates. Why? Well, carbohydrates have oxygen built right into them. And oxygen is required to release ATP. That's the energy molecule in the, the actual food component itself. And so if there is no oxygen, there is no ATP. So what happens to folks who are really bad at burning fat as a fuel source and who are poorly cardiovascularly conditioned, their diet tends toward carbohydrates all by itself because that's the only source of energy they can use. Does that make sense? Like carb cravings often come to those who are in poor cardiovascular condition and who are unable to use fat as a fuel source. Now, there's a few other things going on. Fat tastes good. Like who likes butter on things or who likes cheese? You know, fat tastes good, right? Like fats generally taste great, but but we don't we don't crave them. We don't go, you know what I really want right now? You know what I could really go for? Some avocado. And and I get it. Like guacamole is good. And, you know, sometimes you'll sprinkle a little salt on there. It's pretty good. But like nobody craves avocado. People crave like blueberry muffins or people crave like Starbucks lattes. You know, like you don't go, man, it's been a rough day. I could really go for some coconut oil. You know, I just want a big old scoop and I just want to I just want to eat that. Like, I mean, stranger things, right? But that said, when you're in a stressful state and you need a quick source of energy, carbohydrates are what your body goes for. Your body's not stupid. So oxygen's built right into the carbohydrate molecule. But here's the thing. In the dietary community, carbohydrates have gotten a bad rap. Like they're bad for you and, you know, you should count them and you should decrease them and all carbs are bad. That's not the case. In fact, if you're very athletically conditioned, Carbohydrates are actually a really helpful source of energy and a good way to continue growing muscle and to uh, to keep your body firing on all cylinders. Most athletic people burn a lot of carbohydrates. There are a few exceptions. If I'm a marathon runner or ultra marathon runner or one of those crazy Ironman people, um, and I, I say that with all the endearment and respect possible because that's amazing, but they might be more on the fat side of things because they don't get at a high intensity. They do low intensity all day long. That's what they do. But most athletes are, are carbohydrate burners. And the, the reason is, is if I've got a lot of muscle and I have to do something intense, then I need a quick source of fuel. There's no way I can get the oxygen from the air into my body, into my cells and do a lot of work with it all at once. But carbohydrates have the oxygen packed right into the molecule. So it's just there. It's prepackaged, just ready to go. Anyway, all that to say, there are great sources of carbohydrates in our world. And uh, what's, what's important to understand is where am I on the conditioning spectrum? Am I athletic? If so, my carbohydrate sources 
I mean, I can eat a lot of different carbohydrate sources and it not be a bad thing for me. Even sugar. Like, ah, sugar is a bad thing. I've preached against sugar a lot for the general population. But if I'm athletic, I'm nuking through that stuff, man. It's not a big issue. Now, if I'm on the deconditioned side of things, or if I have a considerable amount of body weight that I'm carrying around, that relates to insulin resistance. And insulin resistance means that my body will not respond well to the carbohydrates that I consume and therefore will not use them as energy. Instead, it'll swell me up, make me all inflamed, and I will store that as fat. And so if I'm less conditioned, I have to be really careful with my carbohydrate sources because I need carbohydrates that will long and slow drip into my bloodstream when I eat them rather than hit me like a ton of bricks in the face, right? So an example would be Skittles versus oatmeal. Skittles, very, very short chain carbohydrate, breaks down super fast. I don't even know which carbohydrates, sucrose and fructose and some other oses. Hits you like a ton of bricks. Actually, Skittles have a higher glycemic index than table sugar. Like you can eat a spoonful of table sugar and your friend can eat a handful of Skittles and their blood sugar will go up faster than yours. I know, crazy, right? Fructose breaks down faster than sucrose. So anyway, oatmeal, on the other hand, like two hours later, you're still getting some of the carbohydrates from that. Setting your bloodstream nice and slow, nice and easy. Um, yeah, and chemicals, yellow 40 in Skittles, hyperactivity in children, not the sugar. Anyway, um, so sources of carbohydrates, we're really looking at what are nice, long-chain, complex carbohydrates if I'm on the less conditioned end of the spectrum, right? So uh, fruits, I like berries. Berries have an extremely low glycemic index, like uh, blueberries, blackberries, raspberries, strawberries, even grapes in there. And the reason is, is because the carbohydrates are paired with fibers, which cause them to seep into the bloodstream much more slowly. So the glycemic index for, for this might blow your mind. If you don't take anything else away in the carb front, Lisa, blueberries have a lower glycemic index than rice. Blueberries have a lower glycemic index than long grain brown rice. I'm not talking about the crap minute rice. I'm talking about the good rice. Blueberries have a lower glycemic index than rice. So your fibrous, long-chain carbohydrates can come from good fruit sources. And then similarly, good carbohydrate sources are, are vegetables, are uh, carrots, are... Uh, I really like potatoes, but not like your like russet potatoes. I'm talking about like your little gemstone potatoes, the purple ones and the orange ones and the red ones. Those are extremely high in uh, polyphenols, and they have much longer-chain carbohydrates in them. And so you can get some great carbs from those. Now, one of the things that I, I watch out for with clients when I'm recommending carbohydrates is that some folks are particularly sensitive to things like wheat and corn um, for a number of reasons. We don't have to talk about atrazine and GMOs and all that stuff, but some folks just do well to steer away from them. And it doesn't mean that they need to cut carbs out completely. They just you know, would do better with something like potatoes and oats than they would their Walmart bread, right? Um, I pick on Walmart bread. It's not Walmart. What is it? Wonder bread? Is that a thing? Okay. okay. <laughs> it smells like bleach, you know? Bread should have a particular smell that's kind of intoxicating. I've never been to France, but that's what I imagine France smells like, given what everybody talks about from France. Anyway, like bread should smell like that, not like, mmm, smells like cheese product. Sweet. <laughs> I'm glad Walmart's not on this call. You're going to be like, this guy. <laughs> um <laughs> So I've said a lot of things about carbs. I'll talk about fats in a second. But uh, what specific questions do we have around carbs? Because I could keep yakking about this, but I want to make sure it's relevant to you. 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I, I like what you said about the potatoes. Mm. By, you know, trying the smaller ones and the red one. You know. Also, we have uh, brown rice sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I try to not have as much like brown rice or pasta, but we, we do have whole wheat pasta if we have pasta. So. Yeah, and that's really tasty. When I was growing up, we did like a stir fry. And I was a kid, so I had small glycogen stores and stuff, which means I needed more carbs in a day. And my mom would make a big giant plate of rice, and she would throw on the veggies and the meats and, and stuff on top of that. And so, like, the foundation of my plate was carbohydrates, and then the rest was veggies and proteins. When you're a kid without any insulin issues, that makes sense. But when you're an adult and you're not getting 30,000 steps in a day, because what am I doing? I don't know. I just like to do, I like to do this. This is, like, my five-year-old's life all day long. He's just dancing around. Like, that's <laughs> plate. that's plate of rice plus veggies plus protein, because he's just, like... He needs all the oxygen built into the molecules he can get, right? Like he needs all the carbs, but we don't. And so when you eat that, um, as an adult, I've had to learn carbs are a side. They come on the side of the stir fry. Like I got my little mound of rice here and then I have my veggies and then I have my protein on top of it, right? And the same thing goes with spaghetti and the same thing goes like, I mean, name anything like carbs used to be the main course for me as a child. But, you know, as an adult, you know, unless you're on the gain train over the summer and working out two hours a day, like you don't need like that doesn't need to be the foundation of the meal. So that's a mental shift that really helps folks is think of your carbohydrate sources being on the side and good, your potatoes, your rice, your whole grain pasta, right? Your veggies are a bigger portion of the plate compared to carbs. And then your proteins need to be at least as big as the carb portion, if not larger. And and I say that like I'm like orchestrating your meal. That's generally from a macronutrient perspective, that'll work out well. Right, right. Okay, great. Thanks. At what point in life does the quantity of carbs decrease? You know, everybody knows this. They just don't say it. It's the point in life where all of a sudden your gut doesn't look the same as it used to. That's the point at which carbs need to decrease. And that's, you know, generally associated with the stress of real life and sleep deprivation and lack of exercise and stuff. But uh, it actually has to do with growth hormone. So when you stop growing, like when you've reached your maximum height and you're, you know, about the amount of muscle you're going to have, then you stop requiring so much short-term energy, right? So our kids, they not only are they bouncing around, but they're also growing. You know, their bodies are also growing bones and growing muscle tissue. And like, you know, Bennett, my my youngest, he's two, right? He's going to cut himself on something or run his head into something, and then he's going to heal overnight. <sighs> That same bruise would take me literally a week, you know, and and it doesn't get any better as we get older, right? Because every cell in his body is just turning over so fast. He's creating new cells all the time. And that is powered by carbohydrates. Like they're just nuking through it, right? So anyway, good question. Basically, when we stop growing and we're adult, we're adulting now, we've got (laughs) the stress of the household and sleep deprivation and all the things. Uh, Really good question, but it has a lot to do with growth hormone, John. 
Um, any other questions about carbs out there before I talk a bit about fats and then uh, make sure that I, I dive into cheat meals so that I can preach just a little bit more? <laughs> I have a sermon. It comes from the cheat meal book of the Bible. I'm just kidding. It's not in there. That's sacrilege. <laughs> All right. Um, so fats, uh, Pat asked you a great question. What are some good sources of fats? Now, uh, this is a loaded question because fats are very complex, but in general, we have basically two strong types of fats. We have our saturated fats and our monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fats. All that means is how much hydrogen is connected to the fat molecule. Um, our body actually needs a certain amount of each type of fat in order to construct itself. And you don't have to worry about that too much because your body's going to do its thing pretty well, right? If you're following the recommendations that I've made up until this point, you know, focusing on good lean sources of protein in general, uh, getting enough veggies and carbohydrates in good ratios, don't eat a dozen eggs at a time, you know, that sort of thing, you're you're actually going to get a pretty decent amount of, of fat in your world. What I've noticed people are mostly lacking on are your polyunsaturated fats. So when we say what are good sources of fats, we're talking about polyunsaturated primarily omega-3 fatty acids. And so those of you who have heard a lot of my talk on my show before or have worked with me as a client, I have at one point or another tried to force you to eat canned fish in some form or fashion. <laughs> I'm like, you should try sardines, you should try mackerel, you should try salmon. Yeah, tuna's good, but it could be higher in mercury. You know, try the stuff on the lower chain. And the reason I'm so passionate about that is, one, you get more protein. Two, you get omega-3 fatty acids. And everybody wins, right? Because omega-3 fatty acids make the inflammatory response in our bodies dampened, much much less intense, right? And so I generally encourage people to try to figure out how to eat fish. And you know, like John was saying just now in the, the chat, wild salmon is, is vastly superior in taste to the canned salmon. And I have canned wild salmon too, but there's just something about a sockeye filet, right? Oh, so good. But that said... <laughs> I, that's not is is patrick making puke faces over there um so he's shaking his head <laughs> like ah, blah, blah. but yeah but you know there's there's hope first of all some smart person somewhere decided hey we could make a supplement out of this and and that's actually really helpful some people just you know they're not going to develop a taste for fish and it's a good place to get omega-3 fatty acids from uh from a supplement which is great um and you know, even then, I've I've worked with uh, folks who are vegan or vegetarian who are like, I don't want to contribute to the overfishing of the oceans. I'm like, hey, you know what's cool about that? Some other really smart person was like, where do fish get their omega-3s from? And turns out they get their omega-3s from algae. Algae makes omega-3s. Um, and so there's omega-3 supplements out there made of algae. Or you can get literally like algae powder that you sprinkle on stuff like pepper. Super cool. I don't wow. know that it tastes really great. I just know it exists. <laughs> so, so if you wanna you wanna sprinkle some algae on your whole wheat pasta and be like, "There's my omega threes for the day," you can do it. It is the 21st century. The world yeah. is your burrito. So, in um, a smoothie. <laughs> in, in, a, in a smoothie, exactly right. So, outside of my annoying obsession with fish, other good sources of protein. Um, olives are horribly underrated. Like, I don't like the taste of them personally. Like my wife will tell you, I'm one of those people who are like, you know, some people hate cilantro. Like it tastes like yeah. dish soap to them. There's actually a genetic component to that, which is kind of fun. But um, that's not me. I love cilantro like all day in the salsa, right? But uh, I'm like that with olives. I don't know why. I would rather have goat kefir than olives, which is saying a lot because goat kefir is terrible. Um, 
So <laughs> anyway, but, but they're pretty underrated for the average folks. So if you don't mind olives, that's a solid, solid source of healthy fats um, that you can work into your life. And I'm not talking like martinis, like I'm talking like actual olives, like just, you know, eating, eating the olives. And then um, as far as like nuts and seeds go, uh, a lot of folks aren't aware of, you know, people like, like, oh, I'm going to eat some nuts. So they have like a handful of almonds. In the nut and seed world, you're really selling yourself short there because like almonds are, I don't know, they're not that good. They just really aren't. You got to like add a bunch of maple syrup to them or like pepper and wasabi to make them even like, oh, that's interesting. But like there are much, there are much better things in the world that are, are good sources of fats, right? So like uh, chia seeds are a personal favorite of mine. First of all, I grew up with tapioca pudding. Does anybody remember that? My uncle had me convinced they were fish eggs. But chia seeds make tapioca pudding. That's not what tapioca pudding is made out of. But chia seeds have a soluble fiber in them that when you put them in a liquid, it expands and takes on that like kind of mushy like tapioca. I don't know what else to call it. I'm not selling it very well here. But anyway, it's it's super good. I put chia powder on my, my Greek yogurt. You can find that in like a packet somewhere with you know, it's just powder. I just sprinkle it on there. Uh, that's a really, really good source of polyunsaturated fats and a few other uh, micronutrients that chia seeds have in them, like uh, zinc, molybdenum. It's really hard to say fast. Molybdenum. Anyway, it's good for you. <laughs> so it's a, it's, a, it's a component to, uh, to enzymes. And then hemp hearts, people have picked on me before because I lived in Colorado and hemp and all that. Hemp hearts are not cannabis. Like they're just the, the seeds from the hemp plant and uh, they're really really high in polyunsaturated fats as well so I, i've named a few things here pat uh, chia seeds hemp hearts um, olives are a really good source if you're going to do the the nuts thing get a little more creative than uh, almonds you can do like pistachios the only problem i have with nuts is they're so easy to overeat I, yeah. they're like chips for me you know you give me the pack of nuts and i'm like <sighs> like where'd all the cashews go and cashews aren't technically a nut, I don't think, actually, now that I say that. Dang it. I don't remember what they're classified as, but they're not a nut. Anyway, the only problem I have with nuts as a source of fats is that they're just so easy to overeat. And then the eggs that you're eating regularly have great fats in them, great source of healthy saturated fats with some good fat-soluble vitamins in them. And uh, it's all that's coming to mind at the moment. How about avocados? Avocados are an excellent source of fat. They You can overdo it on them. Like a whole avocado oh. is about all the fat you need in a day. Yeah. So, so like it's really easy, kind of like the nuts thing. It's easy to overdo it on an avocado. Like there are, are folks I've worked with that that's their only source of fats. Like they generally do avocado and, and fish and they don't have olives in their life. They're not eating nuts. They're not eating beef. So that's great for them. But I've, I've worked with people who like, oh, avocado is good for me. It's like, it's like a vegetable. Well, it is like a vegetable soaked in oil. Like, so don't go crazy. <laughs> I prefer the the buttered gemstone potatoes myself, if if that's where we're going with it. Yeah, man, cut those suckers in half, throw them in a, a glass dish, put some. I got I got John with the nod here. He's got the gangster nod going. You you like you whatever seasonings you want on it. A little bit of butter, a little bit of salt. Oh, like you just cook enough that they last all week. And I'll eat on those suckers all week long. Cashews a type of fruit. Thanks for that, James. Appreciate that. I I knew it wasn't a nut. I knew it wasn't a nut. It's got a similar nutrient profile. I don't know what it is about uh, purple vegetables, but I freaking love them. Purple yeah, potatoes so and purple uh, broccoli. 
Oh mm. my gosh, it's so yummy. Huh. And pr- purple carrots too. Yeah, we, yes. we grew some multicolored carrots here last year. They were so good. <laughs> it's not like this is the posh thing to do. The color is flavonoids. Like the color comes from flavonoids. So like you guys have heard that perhaps that red wine is good for you because of the resveratrol, right? The resveratrol is a flavonoid that colors the wine red, right? That's why, you know, white wine doesn't have as much resveratrols is red wine, right? So if you're going to drink wine, drink the red wine. It's probably better for you. At least that's how we justify it in my house. I'm just kidding. But when you do like purple vegetables and whatnot, you're actually getting a, a much higher dose of flavonoids and micronutrients than the lighter colored stuff. And so like, you know, same thing goes with blueberries, like the blueberries, blackberries, deep, dark colors. Those come from flavonoids. And uh, those flavonoids are antioxidants and they have amazing properties, uh, beneficial things for hormones, beneficial things for inflammatory function, uh, beneficial, like we've even seen the antioxidants and things like blueberries have an effect in a Petri dish on malignant tumors and whatnot. So um, like the, the power of antioxidants in the body are pretty powerful. That was a really stupid sentence, but you get my drift. It's been a long day, guys. All right. I've been stuck in a house with ice all around and a five-year-old and a two-year-old. So I think I've, I got 10,000 steps today, which means I had to make lots of laps. And you have not lived until you tried arm balance yoga with Bennett on your back. I'm just saying. Um, it was a party. Uh, James says beets. Yes. Beets are an awesome source of flavonoids as well. And uh, there's actually been studies that suggest that beets, uh, specifically a compound called betaine, that, that's native to just beets, you can't get anywhere else, actually reduces the breakdown of muscle tissue during high-intensity exercise. So some of the really high-intensity athletes, especially like our, our cyclists and, and things like the Tour de France and whatnot, they're using beet juice to reduce the amount of muscle breakdown during their high-intensity work um, so they can keep going. So. Yeah, beets, beets are, are great. Now, they come in a can, too, and the canning process may or may not actually break down the beneficial components. I don't know, but that's something worth thinking about. So, like, sauerkraut, for instance, is a probiotic food if it's alive. But if you're eating sauerkraut from a can that's been heated to a super high pressure and stuff, so all the probiotics are dead, then all you've got is the, the rotten cabbage minus the probiotics, right? So it's not actually doing anything good for you. So similarly with beets, uh, just note that we don't know whether or not the canning process completely denatures those flavonoids. Don't beets have a lot of sugar in them? I mean, you can add sugar. Um, but I mean, but, in the plant itself, I thought they have a lot of internal sugars. No, you can make sugar from beets, but a beet itself doesn't. It's kind of like an apple, you know, like apple juice has a lot of sugar, but an apple doesn't have a whole bunch of sugar devoid of fiber. Right. Yeah, so fiber carries it. Yes, it, it, exactly. Yep. Good thought. So I've said a lot about the macronutrients. Have I triggered any questions before I talk about cheat meals? I have a question. I have a question. Yeah. Hey, yeah like so. uh, just a real quick. In one of your shakes you had going back, whatever you post on Facebook, you had aloe in your shake. And I wonder yeah. where that falls in all this. You had put aloe. I don't know. If it was a yeah. Gel. Where does that fall in? What uh, protein, fat, carb? What good good question. It's it's in the lovely category of doesn't count toward my calories in a day. <laughs> no, no joke. I'm not kidding because it's it's a big fat zero from an energy perspective. Um, aloe juice has no nutritional value for energy. Um, aloe juice, you know, so if you've ever had a sunburn and you rub aloe gel or, or something like or aloe plant on it, it can actually help 
the healing process. And it's not just anti-inflammatory. There's some strange components to aloe that we don't understand. There's about 22 different flavonoids that we have identified in aloe, and we don't know at all how they work. But I will say that there are some studies around aloe in the digestive tract, specifically around inflammatory cytokines um, related specifically to ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease, um, and then also some uh, autoimmune disorders. And aloe ingestion seems to help to calm the inflammatory cytokines. So I had a, I wrestled with an ulcerative colitis flare-up in February of last year. And after, you know, wrestling with whether or not I had colon cancer or something like that. Uh, aloe was one of the things that I came across. And so I've since incorporated aloe into my daily consumption. You know, not, it's not every day, but probably most mornings, about five out of seven mornings a week, I'll drink about four ounces of aloe. I'll put it in my kefir. I'll drink it by itself. I'll put it in a shake or something like that. And uh, the goal is just to, you know, kind of calm the inflammatory markers in my gut. The only cautionary note I would say about that is we know that there's an upper end of aloe that may or may not anger kidneys if you have kidney disease and whatnot. We don't know what that upper limit is. For most of my clients, they say just stay below eight ounces a day and you'll be fine. Um, and it's not the aloe gel itself. It's the latex of the aloe plant. And it's impossible to completely distill that from the, the juice itself because the juice actually comes from if, if anybody's seen like an aloe leaf in the grocery store, like pick it up, you know. If, if you open that sucker up, the gel is edible. If you try to eat the latex, you'll hate your life. It's, it's awful. It's worse <laughs> than goat key. It's terrible. It's not edible. <laughs> like, um, so the good stuff is the gel and the latex is like, it's like glue. Gabriel and I were like goofing around with it. I was like, Oh, this tastes terrible. You should try it. You know, like that's how we do things. Like, Oh, this smells awful. You should like smell it. So anyway, um, Good question, James. Aloe does not play into your carbs, fats, and kind of like green tea or ginger. It's not a significant source of actual energy molecules or protein, but it could be a source of other polyphenols that you might find beneficial. Good question. Uh, Robin, I think you had a question you were bringing up, brother? Yes, but I don't remember what it was now. (laughs) Oh, snap. Did I get you with the aloe? Yes. That sounds gross. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. People joke that my taste buds are dead. I hate olives. I don't know. Like, they work. I hate olives. So we're, we're okay with that. Olives are correct. Katie actually visited our, our house recently, and she drank olive juice with me, and she, she likened it to flat ginger ale. Like, it kind of reminded her of flat ginger ale. I mean, that's not bad. It's no. I have another client who swears that it is the worst. It's like drinking pond water. And I'm like, how do you know what pond water tastes like? And she's like, that's not the point of my quip here. <laughs> So I guess to each their own, but it, this doesn't help sell it either. Here in, in our Walmart, you can find aloe juice near the stool softener. has nothing to do with stool softening. I don't know why it's over there. It makes no sense. I'm going to chalk it up to Podunk USA, not knowing where aloe juice goes. So I don't know where they keep it in your grocery store if you want to give it a shot, but it's not expensive and you know it's easy to try and if it makes your digestive system happy, then why not? Hmm. I don't know. Once you've woken up at 3 a.m., and I'll leave out some of the details in excruciating pain. You'll try anything once. Yeah, I've got I've got Crohn's, so that is oh shoot, no one's, no one's ever told me. Mm, yeah, man, Aloe, you need to connect with me after this. I have some magic to share with you. Okay. <laughs> I I don't know if it'll fix everything for you, but it can definitely help. I got real nerdy with the research at one point, and I was in the rabbit hole. I was hanging out with curcumin and aloe and ginger and all kinds of fun players. We got we got to be close friends. My wife's like, "What is all this?" I bought this stuff. Just like, what is that? I was like, "Don't worry about it." But if it works, we're good. Like, 
Yeah, no colonoscopies, no immune suppressants. We're good. So Katie asked about cheat meals. She had to ask about cheat meals, didn't she? Thanks for opening that can of worms. Um, so this is a complicated subject because, first of all, I think I speak, and if I don't speak for you, sorry, but I think I speak for everybody on this call when I say none of us are cheaters. Like, each one of you are hardworking people who don't take the easy way out, or at least <laughs> if you have tried to take the easy way out, it didn't work out very well, so you didn't do that anymore. So I hate the word cheat meal altogether, like as a concept, it's annoying, but I understand why it exists, right? So a couple of things. First, you'll notice on the previous slide that I mentioned the 90-10 rule under basic nutrition interventions, the 90-10 rule. Why the 90-10 rule? Well, some people would define it as 90% of the time I'm on my diet, quote unquote, and 10% of the time I'm not on my diet, and that's okay. And as long as you do that, then that's a good balance to you know achieve your goals, whatever those might be, weight loss, health, muscle growth, good performance. And there's an element of truth to that. But I think of the 90-10 rule differently. I think of the 90-10 rule as 90% of the time, my nutrition reflects what's best for me. And 10% of the time, my nutrition serves a different purpose than just what's best to eat, right? So like French toast with my kid on a Friday morning, take him out to breakfast, we have French toast. Is French toast good for you? No. In no universe can I explain French toast being good for me, period. Maybe it's after leg day. Like, ugh, I get an insulin spike and, oh, man, those muscles are like, thank you, God, for all these carbs, right? But that's about the only, like, and that's a really weird backdoor explanation for French toast being good for me, right? But I would say French toast with my kid on a Friday morning is a good thing. Why would I say that? Well, I'm, I see a lot of nods. The people who have kids know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you need to have French toast with your kid. Like, it's good. Right. It's a good thing to do, even if it's not necessarily good for you, right? Uh, John says it's a mental reward. Man, I'm, I'm building a relationship with my son. It's it's nice. It's it's fun. I like, dude, if, if you ask me, Alex, what could you have for breakfast for the rest of your life? Like, if somebody was going to fan you with a fig leaf and make you whatever you want, I'd be like, French toast, baby. That's what I want. That's the thing that I want. Like, I don't want pancakes, like eggs are good, but they're not that good. French toast is where it's at. That's, that's how I feel about that. Um, and you can disagree. That's okay. So all that to say, 10% of the time, what I eat has nothing to do with what's good for me. And for my life, that balance is really good. That balance is really good. Nutritionally speaking, it helps from a body composition perspective, helps my digestive system. Uh, helps me feel good about what I'm generally eating. You know, I don't look in the mirror and go, God, why'd you eat any of that today? What's wrong with you? But it also keeps me, I've, I've worked with a lot of people who have gotten to a strange place in their life where they're like, I hate food. I'm sick of food. Food's stupid. I don't want anything to do with it. And I don't remember the last time I enjoyed any of it because things have been too restrictive or it's been too difficult or I've, I've, I've I don't, maybe I've even hurt relationships because I wouldn't, I don't know, have with my wife on her anniversary or something. Um, and that was a, a big deal. Whatever. The the point is, the 90-10 the thing in my world has a lot more to do with a healthy balance between what food can be good for me and then the, the cultural, the emotional, the psychological aspects and relational aspects of food as well. So that said, Katie, my thoughts on cheat meals are, I wish I could call them something different. I know why they're called what they're called. But I would really prefer to reframe that in the sense that in 10% of my week, which is probably about two to three meals, depending on how many meals you eat in a week, in 10% of my week, if I'm eating for a different reason than what's good for me, 
that's fine. Like, that's fine. That's good. That's likely a positive and powerful thing. And I found that for many of the people that I work with, if they're doing good things for their body 90% of the time, and 10% of the time, they're going to enjoy ice cream with their loved ones, or they're like, damn it, it's been a week, I'm gonna have a bourbon, man. Like, <laughs> like if they're in that place, and that's good, and it's been nice, and it can fit in that little place, that 10% place, and it doesn't expand in the other you know, I've, I've worked with people who one ice cream this week turns into brownies every day for the next, you know, two weeks. That's a different thing. I don't know. Like I said, I would rebrand that. I wouldn't call that a cheat meal. I'd be like a daily bread. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> like my, my daily bread is good for me. My, my one, my once a week thing that I enjoy might not be good for me, but it's still good for me. If that makes sense. So I don't know if I, I wrapped that up in the bow that I would like to wrap it up in. But does that give you a sense of where I'm coming from? And or does it bring up any other questions for anybody? It gives me somewhat of a gauge, an overall big picture of where I need to think about my own food. So thank you for that. Thanks for the question. That's a, that's a really good question. I appreciate you asking. It's a matter of kind of scratching an itch. You know, I, mm. you know I, don't, I used to drink a lot and I don't drink anymore. So, you know, I think I, the sugar, you know, I get my sugar differently now. <laughs> so, um, but, but I think that at some level, you know, and I'm 57 years old, so I reward myself a little bit more, but, um, I, I think that if you don't, if you don't have that reward system for yourself, I mean, you know, this, this can turn into drudgery too. I, I enjoy working out. I enjoy, you know, how my body is, is, is getting in, in better condition, but at the same time, you know, that just adds a little bit of enjoyment where otherwise maybe you wouldn't have it. So I have to call it, maybe we call it reward, reward meals. <laughs> reward, there you go. I, I like that a little better than cheat meals. That's fun. I have a relevant story that doesn't sound relevant, but give me a second, okay? Um, when I was in 10th grade, I played this video game called Elder Scrolls that like sucked me into it. it took me like, I wasted 70 hours that week playing this stupid video game. I wasted an entire spring break. And I remember uh, like emerging from my room with like pizza over here and like I'm in 10th grade, right? Like this, I'm, I'm all athletic. I did all this stuff. My mom's like, man, he's been working hard for whatever. Like at least he's out of my hair and isn't whining about teenage things. So like fine, do your thing. So I emerged from my room and I remember thinking like, what happened to me? Like if this Xbox exploded right now, then 70 hours of my life would be gone. Like this is stupid. So I made a pact with myself that if I was going to play video games in my life ever, then it would be with other people, like relationally speaking. It would the, the goal of the video game would be to bring people together who wouldn't otherwise come together and, and enjoy myself. And I live that now. I, I just finished playing Minecraft with Gabriel for like 30 minutes. And we're like, we're running from zombies. We got our little like wooden swords and we're trying not to die and having a grand old time building our little cabin and stuff. But I think food follows a similar vein. Because people come to a place in their life where they're like, why do I keep eating every Rice Krispie in the pan? Like, why am I doing that? Like, I'm sneaking into the kitchen and eating it so nobody sees me. That's not good. But like having dessert with somebody you love or having a, a meal that's particularly rich, that's not necessarily going to be really nice on your digestive tract. But maybe you're having a great conversation and it's fun and it's powerful and you're making memories and whatnot. That can be a powerful aspect to enjoy food in, in a healthy way. And I don't know, I, I wouldn't call that a cheat meal. Like, if it's cheating, it's cheating the right way. <laughs> like, but there's a different aspect where it's like, you know, it's not necessarily a cheat. It's more like, 
I'm not me right now. This isn't who I want to be, and the food's owning me, if that makes sense. The video game owned me for 70 hours, and that's not good. Uh, I know we're kind of, you know, broaching the, the psychological there, but it, it is a very psychological thing to think through, like, there's a thing that doesn't fit. Paul says it in Romans, Oh, wretched man that I am, that which I do not want to do, I do, and that which I want to do, I don't. You don't have to be religious to know what that means. Like, you're like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, what's happening to me here? So I really appreciate the question because it, it's a deep question. It's, it's a deep question about how your nutrition lines up. What lines of meaning does it serve in your world? And how do you balance those things? And it's, it's not an easy question. And I think, I think each person has to find their balance in there. Uh, Tim Sample says, how can you gauge moderation in a cheat meal? I find that I can blow a week's worth of work in one bad meal. Uh, that's a really good question. And kind of wrapped up in there is like, what does it mean to blow a week's worth of work, right? Because some people can gain like seven pounds in one meal. And it's not seven pounds of food. Like I can eat a lot. I've never eaten seven pounds of food. Uh, maybe maybe there's some people who have eaten seven pounds of like Kobayashi. Kobayashi ate like 130 hot dogs that one time. That just sounds gross. Anyway, um, like in three minutes, he was just shoving them down. I don't even know where they were going. It's a good question because when you have made the decision that I'm going to eat something that's not necessarily good for me, but it's good for me, right? It's not necessarily good for my body, my goals and whatnot. It doesn't really serve all of those purposes, but it still, it serves a purpose mentally speaking that's important to me, whether it's a relationship or whether it's, you know what, hey man, sometimes a man needs Chipotle in his life. So as far as that goes, if you can, it's such a good question because kind of the, kind of the, like I go to French toast with my kid and I'm not like measuring my syrup. I'm going to put syrup on my French toast. <laughs> like that's, that's how it's going to go. And, and if that one piece doesn't have enough syrup on it, more syrups going on that piece of French toast because some French toast just absorbs the syrup and it's like, that's good French toast. Tim, I think that when you're talking about moderating this meal, a couple of things come to mind. The first thing that comes to mind is it's super important that after the meal, you get right back to your groove, right? Because for many people, one meal becomes a day or two. You know, oh, I had this at that meal, so I'm going to eat this, this, and this. It doesn't even matter, you know. Um, I saw this in a client's food journal. He hasn't had soda for, and this is actively one of his goals, not to drink soda. He doesn't want to in his life and, and all that stuff. He hasn't had soda. He hasn't had X, Y, Z. There's been a bunch of stuff. And then, and then he had a road trip and he, at the gas station, had his soda like right in his face. And he's like, Oh, I'm going to have that. And that turned into two double quarter pounders with cheese. And the next morning was like a sausage McMuffin. And I know like being on a road trip is hard, but he has not had fast food in like three months. And I mean, he doesn't need to beat himself up about this, but the soda was like the gateway to all of the stuff. So make up your mind that I'm going to have a meal and enjoy it. And that's the end of it. There doesn't need to be an after party. I don't need to wake up in a ditch. Like, <laughs> it's, it's, there it is. You know, I had my meal and it was good and, and I enjoyed it and it was wonderful. And, and now I'm getting on with what's good for me. Right. And so, I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the second thing I would say about that is uh, don't set yourself up for failure. Okay. Because some people will, if they're going to, Let's say I know that I'm going to go enjoy a really rich dinner. Don't starve yourself all day to save your calories. And then you're hungry and like wanting to eat everything but the kitchen sink. 
And then you're just like, just go into town, you know, because you're hungry. So don't set yourself up for failure that way. And I'd say that the last thing I'd say is on the other end of things, you can set yourself up for success in a different direction. If you know that today is going to be a heavy cheat meal day, then today also needs to be your heavy workout day. Set your body up to be in a position to use that extra energy well. And I mean, that's true evolutionarily speaking. If I was going to eat a mammoth, that would be after all day of tracking it down and, you know, dragging it back to camp, which is a lot of work, by the way. I haven't killed a mammoth, but I hear it's tough. So make your <laughs> make your cheat meal a workout day cheat meal. Like you did legs today. You did some heavy interval cardio. Maybe you did a two a day today. I'm not saying you need to earn your cheat meal. But if you're looking to reduce the impact of that meal on your entire week, then that would work really well for you. So don't set yourself up for failure. Don't like fast until the meal or something. Um, work out that day uh, hard enough that you're in a good state of recovery. And then uh, make sure that you get right back on the horse afterward. Um, because if your meal, I think I said all this stuff to come right back here and say, Katie, I think the big thing with the cheat meal is if I've planned it, it's not a cheat. Like it's part of the plan. So I'm like, hey, I'm going to have this meal and it's going to be enjoyable. And then tomorrow I'm going to go back to normal. My default, my good default, that's good for me. Then it's not a cheat. I, it's part of the plan. It's like when the professor stands at the front of the class and it's like, at the end of the test, I'm going to ask you a gimme question and give everybody 10 points. You know, like that was part of the plan. It's not a cheat that he handed you 10 points because your curve sucks. Really good question, Tim. Does that help, man? I, I feel like I said a lot and I want to make sure that it was meaningful or helpful. Okay. Thumbs up. He says, cool. Good, good questions. Uh, you know, one more note about that. Uh, some folks, if you've been eating really well and then you eat, I don't know, not well, <laughs> uh, your body blows up like a balloon. Your inflammatory markers are like, what was that? I don't even know. It's like, and it's not <laughs> bad. Like you can't, you can't gain a 10 pounds of fat in a meal, you know, but you can, you know, you're 70% water already plus or minus a few percent points. So adding three pounds of water is no big deal. Like most of us can add a few pounds of water. If you've had a martini with lots of olives, you know what I'm talking about. Like your fingers swell up. My wife did that with chicken stock before our son was born. They just kept feeding her this really salty stuff. And her feet were like this big. Like after 30 hours of labor, she was just like, it was impressive. She's a tiny chick. So it was weird. It's very weird. Anyway, you can gain a lot of water. So, <laughs> so, so, so when we gain weight, we can just say it's water. That's you got like well, it's just water. Alex said, um, but awesome. but if you can do some things to reduce your inflammatory markers, that that can be helpful too. So like I mentioned, aloe juice. Aloe juice actually reduces inflammatory markers. Curcumin, um, that's the active phytosome in turmeric, reduces inflammatory markers. Can help with that. And then uh, just getting a good sweat on, like dry sauna, hot shower, hot bath. Uh, you can do it the old fashioned way and put like five sweatshirts on and go for a jog outside. Um, but you know, give your body an opportunity to, to clear out some of that retained water. And, uh, that can help too. Cause if, if you're tracking your progress in terms of weight and one meal can erase your entire week, it doesn't mean that you've gained fat that you lost this week in one meal. That doesn't generally happen, but you can lose some of the progress from your weight loss the next morning when you weigh in, you're inflamed. So um, wrestling with that and just decreasing your water weight and giving your body an opportunity to decrease your inflammatory markers can be helpful. Guys, I feel like we crushed those questions. What else is out there? 
before we get to call it a night and all of us get some great sleep and plan our next French toast binge. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Tomorrow's Friday. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Uh, no, no. Gabriel and I are due for a for a French toast date, but it probably won't be in this icy weather. Alex, I, French I, toast I just want to thank you because I really got a lot out of tonight. Yeah, good. I, I really yeah. is awesome. Good. Well, thanks for coming, Robin. Uh, and I appreciate I've, the questions. Well, I've, I've learned that I'm, some of the things I'm doing is, even though I thought I was eating everything healthy correctly, I'm, I'm not. So it, it was awesome for me. Oh, good. Going to try those green bananas? I'm just kidding. Don't. Like, unless no. you have a good reason. <laughs> They're not my favorite. Don't try goat kefir either while you're at it. I'm, I'll what just say it's a trouble. Like so kefir is a fermented dairy drink, right? And so you, it's created when bacteria metabolize the lactose so people add like a culture to just a normal thing of whole milk and the bacteria will eat up the lactose and it's a probiotic drink you can drink it it's like liquid yogurt would be a good good way to think of it and it's not bad it uh, really isn't uh yeah yeah buttermilk similar very similar very similar um just a higher oh, probiotic buttermilk oh, yeah buttermilk's very fattening though that's right so keep her very fattening it, it is. It, it has quite a bit of saturated fat in it. That's why it's so thick and chunky. But um, but your kefir has a much lower saturated fat count because the, it's thicker because of the probiotic action, not the not the fat content. So um, anyway, mm-hmm. I tried to make goat kefir recently out of goat milk. Like I added my kefir starter to goat milk and it metabolized the lactose. The thing about goat milk is it has a much lower lactose component. So there's nothing to take the sour edge off of it when you drink it. So like I'm like oh okay kefir I drink kefir all the time I go to drink I'm like oh what is this this is terrible ah oh. so I I finished it I, I choked that sucker down over three days but I'm never again never again no goat kefir in my world yeah I'll save you the trouble don't do it yeah yeah you guys let me know if you have anything else yeah. weird you want me to try I'll give it a shot guinea pig. <laughs> I'll try anything once. <laughs> I'll try anything once. <laughs> well, guys, thank you. It has been a pleasure. I appreciate your time and energy this evening, and uh, I'm really looking forward to the rest of the Faithful 40. Next week, we'll we'll get together for better exercise. Uh, same time, same place. So I'm really looking forward to uh, fielding your questions about cardio and, and weight training there. Awesome. Okay. Nice right. to you see guys you. Have... Thank yeah, you. Yeah, nice, nice to see you, too. Thank you guys for Good coming. Night. Drive safe. Watch out for the ice. <laughs> hope the ice melts. <laughs> The free, practical advice and conversations here remain unbought and unbiased thanks to the support of Better Daily. If this episode has been helpful to you, share it with someone in your life who you know it will benefit. Then subscribe to the podcast and leave us a raving review to tell others what value Defining Dad Bond has brought to your health and fitness journey. Finally, if you're struggling for betterment, don't do it alone. We all have a cross to carry, and it's lighter when we do it together. Go to definingdadbod.com slash better daily to get supported, challenged, and inspired to take yourself to the next level. Who knows who we could be if we could become 1% better every single day. Go to definingdadbod.com slash better daily today. That's definingdadbod.com slash better daily.